Welcome to Leading Innovation. I'm your host, John Lowry. Leading innovation can feel like one of the biggest challenges in business today. We know it's important. We know we have to do it as leaders, but sometimes we don't exactly see the road from A to Z. We know that being innovative is fraught with challenges. It can create moments of tension within our teams. And yet at the end of the day, we know that our company or organization has to change to be responsive to the people that we're serving, to our customers, to our clients. We know we've got to be able to do it better and faster, and that will require innovation. Today, I want to share with you a story about a tragedy in American history, but one that prompted innovation in an environment that doesn't often see a lot of radical innovation. And as a result of it, you had the victims of this tragedy that were served exceptionally well. Out of this, I think there are nine qualities of an innovative leader, and there are ways in which you can implement these qualities day to day to make a difference in your organization as well. Think back with me to April 15th, 2013, the Boston Marathon. It's such an iconic moment in America every single year where you have people from around the world who have qualified for this incredible race. It's such a highlight in life to be running the Boston Marathon. You usually have a couple of folks that knock it out in like two, two hours and something. And then you've got a bunch of others that follow behind. I love watching the end of that, where tens of thousands of people gather to cheer on their loved ones and their friends and just be there for all of the energy at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Well, as you all know, in this particular year, sadly, as runners were finishing, as the crowd had gathered, there was a bomber that blew up that area, killed three people, and injured well over 250 others. It it was a tragic moment and one that required an immediate response. Now, I want to give all credit to Mitch Weiss at the Harvard Business School. At the time, Mitch was the chief of staff to the mayor of Boston. He was intimately and directly involved in the response to the Boston Marathon bombing. And it was Mitch that I had the opportunity here to hear talk about this particular experience and how he worked with leaders from not only the state of Massachusetts, but from the city of Boston to very quickly develop a response and one that I would describe as incredibly innovative. Out of that, Mitch described some of the qualities of innovation that I want to share with you today that I think make a huge difference. I'll add a couple to it that make up nine qualities of an innovative leader that can be useful as we figure out ways to bring about change in our organizations. So here you have this moment where the Boston Marathon bombing has occurred. You've got all of the governmental leaders and law enforcement leaders and people that have gathered together to figure out what is the response going to be. And one of the things that these leaders had learned from 9-11 was that most of the money that would be given to help the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing would be given in the first 48 hours after the event occurred. And so they knew that time was of the essence. Whatever they did, they had to do it fast. 
in order to maximize the dollars that would flow in. And so as a result of that, there wasn't time for a committee to be formed, for a study to be done. There wasn't time for a working group to get together, to come up with ideas and make recommendations. This was a moment where decisions had to be made on the fly. And so what they did was they decided that they were going to open up a fund. It ended up being called One Fund Boston. This particular fund, it ended up raising something like $65, 70000000 dollars. And that money, they turned around and distributed it in less than 75 days to, to the victims of the bombing. Now, you think about that result and you go, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive to raise that much money and then to distribute it in such a short amount of time. How did that happen? And how is it that government, with all of its complexity, all of its bureaucracy, was able to do that? in such an efficient way. So here's what happened. Mitch Weiss and the mayor of Boston and the governor of Massachusetts and their staffs, they knew they had to move fast. And so they knew that both money would come in via check, also money would come in online. And so they immediately set up a website. They set up this website and it was as simple as you could possibly imagine. Literally a white screen with a button that said, give here. And then once you click that button, you would go in and be able to do a credit card transaction to make your gift. Mitch also knew that they had to create a way for people to give via check. And so he literally went down and got a PO box at the post office in his name so that they could put that on the website, they could put that out into the media, and people could start sending checks immediately. Now, one of the things that was interesting about what they did was the United Way they typically would be the organization that would receive all of this. And yet the United Way wasn't able to mobilize fast enough. And so it was determined pretty quickly that the United Way wasn't going to be the solution for taking in all these funds and distributing them. And so because it was slow and because there would be levels of bureaucracy, they didn't want to go that direction. Now, there were also lawyers. I'm a lawyer. Uh, lawyers that were doing their job saying there's risk. It needs to be done this way. We need to follow these rules. And there were some of those things that were followed, but there's some that just weren't. Uh, Because of the crisis nature of this situation, there was a lot of activity that happened without the T's being crossed or the I's being dotted. And they knew that with that, there was risk. There was risk of fraudulent claims And in fact, there was one or two fraudulent claims that they found out later were paid. But it was a risk they were willing to take in order to maximize the money that would be raised for the victims of this bombing. Now, they also knew that they would need a partner. They would need someone to seed this fund so that it could be successful. And so they went to a bank And they were able to get a million dollar donation within like the first two or three hours. And that million dollars seeded the fund. It prompted others to give to it. And as a result, over the next couple of weeks, they raised tens of millions of dollars. Now, once they had it, they had to figure out how to distribute it. And there was a lot of concern there in terms of what needed to be done. And a lot of people talking about very complex processes 
in terms of distributing this money? What would be the criteria? And so what they did was they kept it very simple. Instead of creating a massive application process that required tons of information, that created lots of checkpoints in terms of who qualified and who didn't qualify, they kept it really easy, even though they knew that there were flaws with the simple solution. And so they based how much money a victim would get based upon the length of their hospital stay. Now, was that a perfect way to determine the severity of someone's injury? Absolutely not. But it was the best they had in order to be able to move quickly, knowing that time was of the essence. And so what I think you see in this story is you see government, what is, which is not known for its speed, not always known for its innovation, but here you created an environment to where government had the opportunity and really had the necessity of moving fast. And as a result, in this particular moment, government became very innovative. And so what is it that we can learn from that? Well, I think what we see here, and at least what Mitch taught me, was that there is a difference between an administrative style of leadership and a more innovative style of leadership. And the differences there, those make all the difference in terms of the results. And so let's just compare those two here on this episode. And out of it, what I hope you'll see is that there's value in both styles of leadership. I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. What I am saying, though, is that people get more comfortable with one style over the other. And so in every situation, in every dynamic, they apply that style. And many times that is not the right approach. Imagine what would have happened here if there was a very administrative approach to responding to this moment. Well, we know that not as much money would be raised. We know that it would have been more difficult for victims to be able to receive the money. Maybe, maybe the one or two fraud claims would have been prevented. But at the end of the day, was that more important than maximizing the amount of money for these victims? All right, so we're going to jump through these. Uh, first off, the administrative model of leadership, it is focused on process. The more entrepreneurial, innovative style of leadership, it tends to be focused on results. So right there, there's a different orientation, right? So the administrative leaders say, let's develop a process and then let's see where the process leads. The more innovative style of leadership says, what are we trying to accomplish? And then let's think about developing a process that gives us the best chance of getting there. The starting point is the result, not the process. All right, the second thing is the administrative style of leadership is much more committee-driven and consensus-driven, where in the more innovative context, it's idea-driven. Now, notice the starting point again. Let's get a committee together and let's see what the committee comes up with. Very administrative. It leads to slow progress. It eliminates a lot of risk, but it takes a long time to get where you're going. Whereas the idea-driven process, this particular process says, let's get ideas out there. Let's begin pursuing ideas. Let's recognize that some of those ideas may not work, 
but let's be driven by ideas and be reacting to ideas instead of creating these committees and hoping that out of them, some ideas will come. The other thing you see about the administrative model is that it's very risk adverse. The worst thing in the world and in in the administrative model is failure. Whereas in the more innovative model, there's a willingness to fail. There's an openness to fail. Failure is okay. I hear a lot of investors talk about the fact they don't want to invest in a particular person or a particular company unless they know that they've experienced failure because failure is an incredible teacher. Failure is something that causes people to make really smart decisions as a result of the learning and the emotional experience of that failure. And so companies and organizations and leadership teams that aren't willing to fail, well, they're probably not very courageous either, which means that as the world changes around them, they will likely be slow to adapt, slow to change, slow uh, to innovate. All right, the fourth thing is, in an administrative model, there's a huge stakeholder focus. The emphasis is on the people delivering the product or delivering the service or working in the organization. And really the questions become, what is easiest for them? What is it that they can manage or they can control? Those become the driving questions. Usually, in my experience, I've seen this happen around quality to where, well, we don't know if we can have the right kind of quality, so we just better not do it. Instead of a different approach that says, let's focus on the user and let's make sure we're adding value to the user. And if that means that we as a team have to operate differently or we have to create a new set of products or we have to change the way we deliver our services, well, then let's do it because the user is the focus as opposed to the stakeholder. Think about this example. At the end of the day, what was the key focus for this leadership team in Boston were the victims of the bombing. It wasn't the people that were working for them. It wasn't necessarily the lawyers that were advising them. It wasn't some of the other people that were coming in to to help and to be the hero. They were focused on the victims and that relentless, hyper-focused approach That's what led to a great outcome for the victims. Now, when we develop committees, when we do some of these administrative kind of things, those tend to lead to very complex solutions. These are solutions, again, that take a long time to implement, that have lots of problems because of all the complexity. But when we think about innovative leaders, what they're looking for is simple solutions that may not solve the entire problem, but help take a giant leap forward, but it does so quickly because they're easy to implement. They're easy to understand. They're easy for people to put those into practice. And so simple solutions, these are the ideas that make all the difference in the world. And have you ever seen a product watching Shark Tank or something like that, where you sit there and you go, I wish I would have thought about that. Like that's a really simple solution to a problem that exists. How come no one else thought of that? 
Well, those tend to be the products that take off, sell millions of units and make people millions of dollars is the very simple solutions. And that's what innovative leaders understand. And that's what they look to create. In the administrative world, there is a bias towards control. Administrative leaders don't want to do anything that they don't fully understand and they can't fully control. And as a result of that, they don't take very many risks. And so the time it takes to educate administrative leaders, to get them comfortable with a new idea, when they're driven by a bias of control, it takes too long. And as a result of that, change is hard. Whereas more innovative leaders, they have a bias towards action. Now, it's interesting to me, as I've observed some of the most successful people in the world, those people are not the smartest. They're not always the ones with the most resources. They're not always the people that come up with the absolute greatest idea. But the one thing, the one thing that is constant about these people is that they tend to have a bias towards action. They're the ones that are courageous enough to try. They're the ones that get started and figure it out along the way. I think about politics. There's a lot of people that would be absolute incredible politicians. They have great ideas. They have a heart for people. They want to see things get better. They're smart. But you know what? They're not willing to run. And if they're not willing to run, then they will never become a public servant. And so what we're left with is many times as you go to the voting booth, you're left with the people that are willing to take action and are willing to run. Those are the people whose names are on the ballot. Not always the best people, but the folks who are willing to take action. Innovative leaders have a bias towards action. All right. Then there's also this notion of the administrative leaders, they want things to move slow. There's a great deal of care that is taken in every step or a lot of thought that's put into every decision. And they're comfortable moving slowly. Whereas innovative leaders, they know that speed is their competitive advantage. Speed is what drives the results. And so they're much more comfortable moving quickly, even though they may not have all the information, even though they may not have fully tested something. Now, they don't take crazy risks that are going to tank a product or sink an investment or do something that just isn't going to work. But at the same time, they're willing to move on less information than administrative leaders are, which means they give them the opportunity to move fast as opposed to move slow. In an administrative model of leadership, there's heavy emphasis on accountability. Who owns the project or who it is that has ownership of this particular part of the business? And the reason that they want to get all of that right, and they spend so much time on organizational structure, is because it's, who are we going to hold accountable? Now, there is a lot of good in that. Uh, I think and totally agree that in order for initiatives to take off, there has to be a passionate owner who's ready to push it and drive it. 
But at the same time, if there's a lot of time spent on creating the structure, that's time that's not being spent on creating the solution. Innovative leaders, instead of having this focus on accountability, they're more focused on experimentation. They're just, easy, they're just eager to get to what works and to get there in the fastest possible way. So there's interesting moments where there's games that are given to adults and to kids. And in some of these games, the kids are actually better because kids don't think about it as much. You know what kids do? They just experiment. They're not worried about failure. They're not overthinking things. They're just trying it. Let me see if this works. Let me see if that works. Let me try this approach. Let me put this on top and see what happens. And because of that experimentation, they're actually able to find solutions more quickly. That's true for innovative leaders. Willing to experiment, willing to fail, it actually leads to a new idea and a new solution adding value much, much more quickly. Now, here's the last thing, and, and this one sounds a little weird, but at the end of the day, it's, it's very, very true. To where administrative leaders, they want to develop solutions that are re a result of consensus and collaboration. And many times that is very, very important in terms of getting buy-in, uh, in terms of getting different perspectives and different thoughts into an idea. But again, it takes time. Whereas innovative leaders, they want to learn as much as they can. They want to learn quickly, but they also want it to happen. And so as a result of that, they give ground very grudgingly. They don't want to be told no. And so, so many times it, when you're being innovative, everyone around you or a lot of people around you they're shooting down the idea. They're telling you why it's not going to work. They're giving you reason after reason why you should stop the pursuit of this new idea. And innovative leaders, they just relentlessly, persistently, but respectfully work through those moments where others are saying, this isn't going to work. A lot of great ideas were pitched to investors and investors didn't make the investment. And those investors are kicking themselves today because that investment turned out to be something that was worth millions. And they missed out because they said, no, it's not going to work. And there was an entrepreneur or there was an inventor or there was someone there that said, no, 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 no. Even though you say no, I'm going to continue to say yes. And I'm going to go find someone else to say yes and we're going to make this successful. So those nine things right there, those characteristics of an innovative leader, I want to offer those to you today as something that can guide your leadership. I also want you to think about how those work with the administrative style of leadership. And here I think is the answer to the ultimate question, which the ultimate question is, well, which one is better? Is it the administrative style or is it the more innovative style? And my answer to that would be, it depends. Now, every great kind of innovative leader needs to have administrative leaders around them because the administrative leaders are the ones that keep them grounded. They're the ones that are able to then take the ideas, provide structure and organization around them so that they can be successful. 
But if the innovative leader defers to the administrative leaders all the time, then there's not going to be much progress. So I believe that innovative leaders and administrative leaders actually need each other in order to move ideas forward successfully. But when we come into these moments, we've got to make a strategic decision about which style is right for the moment or which style is right for the product. Is it the innovative style or is it the administrative style? And when we're trying to do new and big things, it tends to be the innovative style that is more successful in making those new and big things reality. So again, I want to say thanks to my friend Mitch Weiss uh, for these ideas, for sharing them out of the context of his experience leading a very innovative solution that was born out of government and for the way in which he acted along with his colleagues to serve those victims of the Boston Marathon bombing. The way that he did it was by being innovative, not administrative. And as the result of that, he made a difference in the lives of many, many people. And so I offer this to you. I wish you the best. And as you think about this, just remember, there's always more than one way to do things. There's always a way to figure out, how can I do it faster? How can I make it better? These nine qualities, they're a roadmap to those kind of results for you, your ideas, and your organization. I wish you the best.